0: focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. When you go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate, and we'll be right there. All right. Peace. What's up, y'all? This is Zach with Living Corporate, and um, I'm really excited about today's podcast. You know, we had um, a really great conversation with an author talking about the concept of love as a business strategy. I'm not even going to hold y'all too long as I really want to get into the show. What I will say is that what I found intriguing about the discussion, and I really want leaders to tap in and pay attention, is that, irrespective of what you may see from a policy-making perspective, um, as the GOP continues to do what the GOP does, and frankly, um, just as just government like continues to take this really scarily, Frank, frighteningly fascist turn. It's really scary. Like honestly, like if you're paying attention, there's plenty of things to be afraid about right now, as it takes this frighteningly fascist turn. The people, right, like the people, not the politicians who claim to represent the people, but the people, the people are continuing to demand a higher level of respect and empathy from their leaders. Right. And so I really think we're coming into this season where there's going to be this one prevailing, like almost kind of governmental voice that's going to claim to have the right answer. And there's going to be this overwhelming popular voice, right? Like representing the people that's going to have a different answer. And like, we're coming to a head with these two different voices. And so, you know, even when you think about like where we are as a nation, when it comes to discussions on race, you know, a year ago, we were in a racial reckoning and now there's this seemingly this narrative that, you know, we, we're talking about race too much. Right. So, um, there's a, an extension and then, a and then a retraction There's a protraction. And then there's a a retraction. Like it's just, it's almost like a rubber band. Right. And like, eventually it's going to break one would think. And so I don't know what it looks like when that rubber band breaks, but I, I, certainly can look at the signs and tell that, you know, what we're doing right now is not sustainable. And it's very, very scary. Um, as you look at even just this Kyle Rittenhouse, um, Trial and then you look at uh, seeking justice for Ahmad Arbery. I mean, we're looking at the system fail us in real time, and we're looking at frankly the system once again proving that it cannot hold itself accountable. To like hear these white men behaving clearly unethically, and yet there's nothing um, that seems to be that can be done about that, right? There's theater, right? So, you know, you're gonna have these black pastors show up at Ahmad Arbery's you know, at the trial where we're looking for justice for his murderers and and Kyle Rittenhouse, maybe there's some protests or some picketing, but again, like these things continue forward. And so I say all this to say, I really enjoyed my conversation. Uh, This interview was great. Make sure you check out the book link in the show notes, learn more about Chris, learn more about his business and the things that he's doing. And uh, look, We're going to go to that. But before we talk to Chris, we're going to tap in with Tristan. I'll see you in a minute.
1: What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, let's discuss why you're meeting more and what to do about it. While there have been reports that working from home has increased overall productivity, there needs to be a more nuanced analysis. According to the Harvard Business School, the average workday for someone who works from home has increased by 8.2%, or 48.5 minutes. Remote work has increased the number of meetings on everyone's calendars, contributing to those longer workdays. A report from Reclaim.ai found that workers now spend 25.3% more time in meetings compared to February 2020. Furthermore, the report also found that employees spend 308.8% more time in one-on-one meetings. Another interesting fact that came out of the report is that these meetings were rescheduled 42.4% of the time and canceled 29.6% of the time. While that seems like a simple task, it has a significant impact on productivity and employee happiness. So the question is, what can we do? The first thing you can do is to try and reduce the number of one-on-one meetings that you put on your and your coworkers' calendars. Utilize messaging and collaboration tools like Slack to conduct follow-ups and provide updates. Incorporate project management tools like Trello, ClickUp, or Monday.com to track project status and hold yourself and your coworkers accountable. Another thing you can do is to ensure your meeting does not run over. I suggest setting a timer for five minutes less than the length of your meeting to provide you and whomever you're meeting with time to wrap up and ensure everyone has their takeaways. When the first timer goes off, remember to set another timer for five minutes to ensure you always end the meeting on time. Something else that I found helpful in cutting back on meetings or the length of meetings is reverting back to phone calls or conference calls for meetings that don't require the attendees or me to share our screens. The meetings tend to be shorter and participants tend to be more engaged. Lastly, if you must meet on Zoom, try to turn off your webcam if you're able to and your workplace allows. A four-week study done by the University of Arizona Eller College of Management found that people were more likely to focus on the content of meetings when the webcam was turned off. They found that when the cameras were on, attendees were more likely to concentrate on their own faces and expressions rather than the content of the meeting. Try to do your part to decrease the number of meetings on everyone's calendars. Before scheduling a meeting, ask yourself, is this meeting necessary? What am I trying to accomplish? And are there alternative ways for me to convey or seek out this information? This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn.
0: Living Corporate is brought to you by The Access Point. The reality is this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had. And as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first generation professionals. The other reality, most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter The Access Point. A live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out The Access Point on livingcorporate.tv.
2: Chris, what's going on? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here.
0: You sound wonderful. Okay. I'm, I'm excited to have somebody on the pod who, uh, who also has the mic and you, uh, you sound really good. Uh, look, let's talk. Let's get started, man. You know, let's talk about your journey. Um, I became familiar with you uh, because of, um, of Pam, of Franklin Covey. She shared uh, your content. I, I have mad love and respect for Pam and the work that she's doing. And um, I said, you know, I got to really I got to check out this Chris dude. So talk to me about the, your role, your journey how you got to Softway, Um, and then we'll talk about your book, but let's just get started with just your background, how you got
2: to Softway. Awesome. Well, let's just actually start with Pam. Um, We met in college. So um, we went to a PWI, a private white institution, uh, the George Washington University, Um, and on on campus during that time period, like all the people of color sort of hung out, like Latinos, black, Africans, like, we all sort of stuck together, Indians, like everybody sort of went to each other's events and, you know, community celebrations and whatnot. Um, and after um, GW, I really wanted to get primarily in the marketing world. Um, and I thought that the best way to meet Beyonce would be to go into advertising. <laughs> And so that was my original sort of aspiration was to work in, you know, marketing agencies or advertising agencies um, and get exposed to, you know, some client that would endorse Beyonce and I would be on a commercial shoot. That was that was crazy (laughs) dreaming. Um, And. And then when I was in college, my sister got married and had kids, and we are from Houston. And I was like, man, I really want, I don't want to be a long distance uncle. I don't want to just be someone that sends gifts and they don't like the my niece and nephews don't know who I am. And so I made the decision to move back to Houston once I graduated. Um, and the thing about Houston is that it's not the major ad mecca like New yeah. York City or Chicago <laughs> um, or some of these other uh, major centers of creativity. Um, and so It definitely changed my journey, so to speak. Um, And over time I got into sort of the startup space in Houston, Um, started working for some uh, uh, sort of technology development companies um, and sort of went from one to the next. And then there was a digital agency that was in Houston that I found, um, and they worked primarily with HP and Microsoft. Um, And so luckily got hired on there. Um, built my career in, in sort of social strategy back in 20, 20, 2009 when it was like, you know, emerging and everybody was scared of it from an HR perspective and nobody really understood it um, and started working with a lot of our clients because we were eventually bought out by a staffing organization, believe it or not, a digital agency owned by a staffing organization. It's the most bizarre story. And everybody's like, how does yeah, that work? Seem to go together. Like, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't go together, and they didn't go together, which is why we got spun out. But <laughs> you know, during that time, um, I got involved in a lot of staffing and HR conversations, especially as it intersected with social media and digital. Um, and as a result, got introduced to the Society for Human Resource Management, a SHRM, um, which I'm sure will come up in our conversation because you know they are part and parcel to some of the things that we are trying to solve for um, in this you know work that we are doing. Um, and over time, just built this um, this career around first digital strategy, then getting into HR, sales, business development. So I got exposed to just about every side of business because I had a mentor who wanted me to get that exposure. Sh- exposure. So she put me on to sales. She put me on to numbers. And she educated me, took me under her wing, so to speak. Um, and now I found my way to software where I am vice president and I look after and support everything from HR and hiring to sales and business development to delivery, um, to customer support and operations, and even facilitated events where we are sharing our story and, you know, the ways that we came about our own self-awareness when it came to our behaviors and how that was impacting culture, how that would then led into the systems that we created and how those systems then led to oppression and discrimination even. Um, and then how we had to dismantle that by starting with our mindset. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's where, that's a long story to just to tell you that, um, I've touched us about every side of business you can imagine, um, as well as with my own, like uh, the agencies that I work for and the, uh, services firms I work for, as well as the customers that we consulted with. So there is nothing that surprises me, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I'm not still learning and not still finding like new things and new lived experiences that people have had that are like, Whoa, that's different. Um, but it allows me to walk into organizations and, and sort of be be able to listen without judging. You know, it's interesting. I,
0: I want to get to this. Talk to me about this book, man. Love as a business strategy. Let me tell you straight up. Let me, OK, let me just tell you how I feel. Right. So I looked at the con, Looked at the title. And, you know, which I mean, again, like this phenomenal It's part of like really good marketing on the book. Right. It was like it's like. What do you mean love as a business strategy? We got, uh, we have these institutions uh, that have been historically uh, on our necks are being black and brown people, being queer people, being everybody that isn't a straight white man for centuries. These things are complex. Even on the book cover, you got love and it's like this arrow and it's like cutting through everything. Talk to me about what you like. Why this title?
2: Like, what does this mean? Yeah, so we chose this title with intent. We knew that it was going to polarize. Like that was a decided thing. You know, we believe like if you're going to go be bold and go or go home. Right. And so love as a business strategy for us means we put people at the center of our decision making. In many corporations, we've learned, I've learned, I've observed that people are typically pitted against process and profit. It's one or the other, either or. And we believe that when you actually make people-centric decisions, you don't have to have that sort of um, combat between those two realms um, when it comes to business, because all of it has to work together. Without people, you don't have profit. Without people, you don't have effective process. But also with people with the wrong mindsets and with the wrong attitudes and with the wrong communication, you can create processes and systems that sort of impact the vision and goals that any leader is trying to achieve. And so... And looking at sort of that title, we really wanted to sort of push people to that place where they question, they ask that question that you just ask, like, "What love has a bit, like those things don't go together or or traditionally, we've never seen those words together, right? And then when you think about the world of DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion um, or belonging or, you know, all the words that we're hearing in the uh, now alphabet soup around culture, um, you start to understand that when you use love, that is more universal than any of those other terms, right? No matter what culture you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter what side of the fence you sit on, on major issues, you probably have someone in your life that you love and you understand the concept of love, but we're not looking at the romantic side side of love or anything, we're not trying to create HR Mm -hmm. risk, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But we're just simply saying, if you know what it means to be loved and if at the base, most humans are looking for love, Um, or to feel valued and cared for then that should be within the walls of any organization that is really about and sort of considers their people their greatest asset which you hear a lot in many (laughs) employer marketing campaigns we're going to get our next greatest hire you're going to be our next smartest hire right and then you get in your in their walls and that's not actually how they treat you (laughs)
0: we're going to keep it going before before that though like apply it practically right so um Let's look at tech. Tech is an industry going Mm -hmm. through a lot of um, like a lot of reckoning. Right. Uh, You're a lot of major tech companies, big, multi-billion dollar companies getting exposed for racism, HR, not doing what they need to be doing. Um, You know, you know, double speak in terms of what some of these professional services firms are marketing compared to how they're actually treating their black employees. Apply love as a business strategy in those contexts
2: so uh, a simple practical example would be I usually like to start with something like bereavement leave mm-hmm. right so in many companies, depending on where you sit in the organization, the way that you can take bereavement leave might be different than your black and brown coworkers who are typically in lower fields more closer to entry level or hourly mm-hmm. um, and When you think about love as a business strategy, loss is loss. But many policies today reflect that it has to be a mother, father, daughter, brother, Mm -hmm. or your name has to be in the obituary for that to be considered sort of time off for that non-executive employee. Mm -hmm. And then you think about the difference in communities of color. Chances are someone was raised by a non-mother or father. So, when they experience loss and they have to prove that they were close or related or whatever the case may be, they have to jump through hoops. And then you compare that to an executive who, like, this has happened to me. Mm. <laughs> Their best friend's childhood pet passed away, and they take off to go in support of that friend. No questions, no applications no requests for time off like they just get to go and take it off and they don't get that same sort of uh, process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so when you think about love as a business strategy if loss is lost and we're all human should i need to justify everything that i need to do and if you have someone that you don't trust with that type of policy or with that type of request that's a different conversation you've hired someone who fundamentally is abusing the system and you should deal with that person by one as one Versus creating a policy that impacts everybody unequally, right? And so if you make that people-centric decision, you can see, like, hey, we can build trust inside of the policy, but if someone is abusing it, we don't have to take that theory X approach and punish everybody. We can still be theory Y and talk to the person who might be, you know, if they have situations where they're taking time off every week, that's a totally different situation. But typically, when humans are trusted, they want to protect that trust, and they don't want to abuse it.
0: So talk to me about the process of writing this book. Like where did this idea come from? How was it nurtured? And then like why the decision or how How did you come to the decision for it to be a book?
2: Yeah. So um, in 2016, like right when I first started, um, our CEO admitted that the company was on the verge of bankruptcy. We were negative EBITDA. Um, we had like no pipeline right and we were about to close our doors like we were experiencing miracle after miracle to stay open but in that process he had the self-realization his name is muhammad that his behaviors created a culture that was so toxic that nobody wanted to fight for it and nobody wanted to sort of fix the issue but everyone loved to complain because that was the environment that had been created And so rather than force process onto everyone and rather than sort of like get stringent with all the things that happen, and typically if you've been through a business that's going through a downturn, you start seeing things cut off and processes get more stringent and people get meaner, not nicer, right? You start to experience um, a different environment. And we were very intentional. He was very intentional about not letting that be the situation. And instead of just looking at creating new processes, we wanted to understand the behaviors that were driving the numbers that we were seeing. So um, I don't know if you've been in, in many executive yes. conversations where like numbers are not yes. looking good. They start to cut. They just like like they take a pen. They just start mm-hmm. cutting line items, and that's the way they get back to profitability if they're lucky. But few, if not any, actually go to the behaviors driving the numbers. So if our sales are not good, if our pipeline is not good what behaviors are impacting that. And so that's a lot more work. That's a lot more difficult. And that's a lot more, um, I would say that's a a longer term (laughs) plan um, to get things underway. And so that's what we did. We did the hard work of dissecting and understanding our own behavior as leaders and then helping our teams understand the behaviors that they would have to adopt to appeal to customers, to change the sort of lines that we were looking at from a a numbers perspective. Um, And from there, we started to really change how we work together as a team, as leaders, as leaders with our teams, um, thinking about more, or I should say, introspecting on our, our own behaviors and treatment of others. Um, and after we had this, we did this off-site, and we had this really raw content, if you can imagine. We, we're talking about unforgiveness. We're talking about misbehavior. We're talking about retaliation and what that looks like. We're talking about the stuff that most people rarely actually discuss when you're talking about culture. Put it all on the table, got back, and actually started changing that. And one of our biggest clients noticed the difference. Um, and they pulled us aside and said, Whoa, help me understand. We'll like, I'm in meetings with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... I can't tell who's the leader and who's not. I can't tell who's the executive and who's not. Everybody's collaborating. I found out that the CEO was in there taking notes while someone Ah. else left the meeting. Like, this is bizarre and I can't explain it. What did you guys do? (laughs) And we were like, oh, we did this offsite thing. And I tried to dismiss it because, you know, it was just an internal thing. And uh, he was like, I can I see it? Can I see the content that you guys used? (laughs) And, you know, we were like, Oh, client, not, this is not for client eyes. Like this was just internal. And, (laughs) and he was like, I really would like to see what you guys created. So of course showed it to him. And he said, I need my leaders to see this. This is exactly the issues that have not been discussed that we need to start discussing or else, we're going to always have this divide between leaders and non-leaders right now. There's not a lot of trust between the two right now. There's not a lot of inclusion happening right now. Everyone feels like it's every man for himself and we need to bring this to light. And so he paid us, trusted us. We had never been trainers. We've never done anything like that and put us on the road to train over a thousand leaders across the globe um, around the same thing that we use for ourselves and during that process, people said, you should write a book about this.
0: That is fire. I, I'm curious, like, it's interesting because it's like the scarcity mindset that is born from from things that aren't love, right? This I'm out here for myself. I got to take care of myself. Um, I'm really intrigued by the concept. I agree, right? So, like, I'm a Christian. So, like, fundamentally and principally, I understand Love being critical and important in life, and I do believe it's important in business yeah. terms of treating people with respect, treating people um, as image bearers of God, and just treating people as you want to be treated. Right, like even if one is agnostic yeah. or an atheist, like you should treat people the way that you want to be treated. I'm curious, you know, if folks want to learn more about where to get the book and why they need to get the book today, like give me those things.
2: Yes. So you can visit love as a business If you are interested in learning more about the book, or if you already have the book, we have resources that you can download to support some of the content that we've uh, put into the book. Um, and if you're asking yourself, why should I get this today? Um, the conversation or the thing that I like to tell people is there's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Mm. And whether you are a sitting leader, whether you are an aspiring leader, your legacy will be the way that you've treated people, not the achievements that you've made. So, like, think about about the leaders that you've interacted with, those who've gone on to retire, those who have, you know, passed away, um, even. Chances are you don't remember how much they actually saved on the balance sheet. Chances are you don't remember how many accounts they brought in, the amount of those accounts, you know, what those accounts were, you know, where they left them, anything like that. But you can remember how they treated you, the way that they greeted you or not in the hallways, the way that they addressed you, um, the way that you felt around them. And many leaders oftentimes, you know, think egotistically. I'm not trying to be offensive when I say that, but they do think about ego and legacy, and they don't always put into their minds that, what I leave behind will not be financial and physical, it will be those feelings, those softer things. And so for anyone who is looking to understand how they can leave that type of impact, but also with that impact, you have influence. And so as we talk about dismantling systems or you know auditing policies, having that influence and that impact you know, through your critical skills, some people call them soft skills, we call them critical skills, you actually can be more successful in getting things done, regardless of what things are for you.
0: Chris, man, it's been fire. Thank you so much for being a guest. The book is called "Love as a Business Strategy." Sound man, put some air ones right there. Bam! You hear that in post, Chris? It's gonna be fire. Watch, it's gonna be let than a sound one. <laughs> okay, <horn>. um, <laughs> Chris, we we, can't, we count you a friend of the show. Make sure y'all y'all check out "Love as a Business Strategy." Links in the show notes. Uh, Chris, man, we'll talk to you soon,
2: man. Yeah. Like, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Peace.
0: And we're back. Yo, shout out to Chris. Shout out to love as a business strategy. Look, human centered leadership, empathy, and grace. will never go out of style. And I'm telling you, when you talk about attracting the talent of the future, if you're not centering your strategy around people and how you develop them, how you listen to them, how you seek their feedback, how you take accountability, you're not going to be successful. Right. I'm really excited about this next season. It's scary, but I have hope that with this tension and eventually again, the breaking of the rubber band. That um, we're going to actually see some real change. So until next time, y'all make sure y'all check out Living Corporate on all platforms. It was five stars on the podcast. Check out the merch, check out our content on LinkedIn Learning, and we'll talk to y'all soon. Peace.